This episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped are the leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, and everybody at Managing Madrid has their toolkit. The boxers, super comfortable boxers, by the way, the t-shirt, the ball toner, ball deodorant, the actual groomer itself, the lawnmower 4.0, which prevents nicks and cuts on your balls. So if you want a clean and bloodyless shave, which is something that's very welcome, go to manscaped.com and use code MANAGINGMADRID for 20% off and free shipping. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code MANAGINGMADRID. Slay your worst pubes and keep your dagger clean with Manscaped. This episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is also brought to you by Rio Plaza New York Times Square Hotel, which is where you should be booking your stay for the Managing Madrid podcast live in New York City coming up. In December, that's December 4th at the Playwright Irish Pub upstairs. We've been there once before and we're going to go there again. It is in the heart of Manhattan. Make sure to book your tickets. The tickets, the link to the tickets will be in the show notes. You can click on it directly. So if you're anywhere close to NYC, if you're in that state, anywhere within driving distance, I know someone is coming from uh, Buffalo, I think it is, um, and there will be people coming from Boston. If you're anywhere close, make sure to book Come see us, New York. I will be there. Keon Sabani, that is. Om Arvin will be there. Gabe Lesro will be there. And we're super excited to meet you in our ongoing quest to meet every single Maradis on Earth. Uh, by the way, Toronto, thank you so much for coming out. LA, thank you so much for coming out. Next up in Dallas at the Village Country Club, Sunday or Saturday, November 20th. Matt Wilty and I will be on stage. Come see us, please. Also, we'll be in the show notes. So Dallas, New York. And then we got Miami in January, London in February, Washington, D.C. in March, Chicago in April, and Mumbai in May. So if you guys have been listening to the podcast, you've been seeing pictures, maybe some video clips, you know how much of a Maridisa party it is. So we don't want you to miss out, so make sure to come out and see us, please. By the way, the Rio Hotel Plaza, New York Times Square, it's located in the heart of Manhattan. And it offers its guests many services and amenities such as a gym, meeting rooms, and Wi-Fi connection. At their hotel in New York, you can experience their concept of urban tourism and enjoy a vacation in New York or a business trip with all of the services Ryu Hotels and Resorts has to offer you. So make sure to book your stay because you also get the whole experience. You're right in Times Square. You get to eat all the good food. You get to hang out with all the cool people. You get to see us on the podcast. Win, win, win. Everybody wins. Do it. Hotel Ryu. That's Ryu.com, R-I-U.com and book your stay and come see us for the podcast. Tonight's episode, Live from Madrid, is with Ewan McTeer and myself. We recorded just after Real Madrid beat Raya Vallecano when it was a very fun game at the Bernabeu, so stay tuned, enjoy that, and without further ado, here's Ewan and I, Managing Madrid Podcast, post-game show versus Raya Vallecano. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. So he bets the man needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Hello and welcome to a Late Sunday night edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. Late anyway for the time zone I'm used to. It's relatively speaking. It's past midnight here. We are in Madrid. This is your host, Kian Sobani. And I am joined by Ewan McTeer. 
not from a sketchy anything. It's just your house. Yeah. Your yeah. house. Which I'm glad you're not calling it a sketchy, a sketchy house. No, it's 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 a normal house. But this is where we've done many podcasts, especially during the pandemic, with like me sat in that corner, and now you're here and nobody's in the corner. It is cool to see where the magic happens. Although now that I'm looking around, I can't even picture how you sit there because that the background of those bookshelves, there's no chair there. There is, I guess, but where there's no desk. So I guess you do some reshuffling when it's podcast time. It's true. You need to when it's podcast time. You got to. You gotta step up. Okay, cool. So this is where the magic happens, and um, the reason we're not doing the sketchy park thing is because it's freezing. It's cold. It's yeah. well, I mean, so we're Canadian and a Scotsman, and <laughs> I just want the record to state that the person who was too cold was was you. Yeah, I, I'm also cold. It is cold just now, but you were the one who brought up that it was too cold first. So Scotland won, Canada nil in the. Yeah, I am the cold stakes. I'm the most Canada would kick me out if they found out how badly I handle the cold. It's it's really something special. Like I've I've always just needed warmth. Mm-hmm. Like you know, multiple layers, jackets, like, hats, or whatever. Emotionally, or uh, it could be. It maybe that's why it's it stems from something deeper. Um, but far from this being a therapy session, we won't mm-hmm. get into that. I have someone I hire for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but no. But the thing is at the Bernabeu. Mm. During renovations, they t- they took away the heating system. Well, they took away the whole roof, which yeah, there's nothing. which contained the heating system. Exactly. So it would be strange if there was no roof, but like some sort of radiator just floating in the air. Yeah, that would be stranger. So I mean, for context, it was, I think it was like six degrees in Madrid tonight. Mm. So six degrees you can walk around in, yeah. but six degrees to be sitting in the same spot with your yeah, hands out typing. Six degrees right now. Yeah. It's uh, your your hands are just bone chillingly cold. So now that we got that out of the way, mm. um, I will say it's just nice to be back in the atmosphere. It's nice to be talking about cold weather at the Bernabeu. It's nice to be talking about all these things because it means uh, I'm back and I'm doing podcasts with you and really. Uh, you know, it, it didn't feel like it because we talk all the time, but this is the first time I've seen you since um, we may have done a post-game classical podcast on March 1st, 2020. I think we did one then, yeah, yeah. Um, in the Irish Rover, I think, which we've also had the live podcasts in. But yeah. we, we met there and we did like a, a post-classical one and then the world changed. The, world, so, the uh, world ended and now it's back. But you're right, it's like all this time... Everybody keeps doing podcasts, but there's a difference when you do it in person, as I guess you guys saw with the the couple of live podcasts you've you've already done. So. It's 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 just better. It's better. Um, it is different. So uh, last podcast I recorded with Om, and I thought it was actually interesting because he told me his perspective watching on TV, and mm-hmm. I told him my perspective being at the stadium, and I think it kind of meshed well together mm-hmm. because one of the things about being at the stadium is that it's just kind of sometimes hard to know the full picture, but you get the full picture in other ways. So for example, like if I'm looking down and typing notes and I hear the the crowd going down, going crazy for something, I look up and that play is already gone. Whereas on TV, I can just see the replay and it's harder to see the replays and, and hear the commentary. Like TV has commentary so they can also tell you what they're, what is actually happening. Uh, sometimes at the stadium, it's just a lot of like, you know, poor Nils was sitting next to me today. So I was like, hey Nils, mm. what happened? Was that Alaba yeah. who made that pass? What, what was, what's going on? Um, so, be curious to know how you know what what game you saw. I saw a a, a team that played pretty good football. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if Ancelotti took to heart that the fans were frustrated last game against Shakhtar. I mean, he did come mm-hmm. out and say in a surprising quote where he was like, "I have to 
I have to consider what the fans are whistling. I, yeah. That's something you don't usually see from a manager. A manager is like, you know, well, we have to ignore the noise. We have to play the way we want to play. Yeah. But um, it was a little bit more fun today. Uh, it also meant there were some scary moments at the end. And Ryo played well. That's one of the words Ancelotti used at the end was we had 80 great minutes and then 10 uh, minutes with fear. Yeah. And scary minutes, he said at the end after the after the 2-1. And... To go back to like the sort of idea of Ancelotti wanting to please the crowd, part of the context for this is he's been quite clear in the press conferences that the reason they played quite standoffishly against Shakhtar was he seemed to be terrified of pressing Shakhtar yeah. because he said time and time again, they're such a good team, if you try and press them, they will play around you and that's how they beat opposition. So he wanted to play a bit of a deeper defence, stand off Shakhtar a little bit and hit them more so on the counter-attack. Away from home, that works fine and everybody's happy. At home, fans don't want to see that. Fans don't want to see some Ukrainian team where they only know two of the players coming to the Bernabeu and being the team that's on the front foot. They yeah. don't want to see that. But Angelotti explained, no, I was doing this because of tactics. Yeah. And against Rio, it would be different because Rio's a different team. So it was always going to be different. He was never going to play quite so negative football in this game but there will be games in the future where we want to play that way imagine um, when Xavi's Barcelona comes to the Bernabeu late in the season maybe Ancelotti will think the better tactics is to stand off a little bit but it's interesting that he's saying he's also going to consider what the fans want and that could be a problem actually because um, your coach should just want to play the way that's going to win and if he's also trying to play maybe not the best way that he thinks to win because the fans will get annoyed mm, I don't know if that's that's the best call so I, I just pictured Real Madrid against Barcelona and Xavi's the coach and Real Madrid mm. playing a defensive counter-attacking football and when like he, they did at the Camp Nou and that's <clears throat> perfect because there's no Real Madrid fans at the Camp Nou to yeah. to be annoyed at um, well at that they're camp. not going to be annoyed if it works if, if no sorry they're not going to be annoyed if it, if they if those counterattacks are efficient, right? So mm. there's if they wouldn't have been annoyed at the five 0 against Shakhtar where they play counterattacking football, no, but no. because their attack wasn't as good um, as efficient, they were they were a little bit annoyed by it. Yeah. Um, but I, I I just pictured you know, Xavi Barcelona comes to the Bernabeu, Real Madrid plays defensive football, counterattack, they just destroy them, they win four 0 and then Xavi yeah. after the game is like, we had control. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but no, but it is interesting you say about like, Ancelotti and the fans and stuff like that because... Um, yeah, we won 75-25. Did you not read the scoreboard? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Busquets had 200 touches. Um, the casual fan, mm. not even just the casual fan, a football fan is not going to come to the Bernabeu with a tactical notepad scouting report on how Shakhtar Donetsk play football. This and is the thing. No, Nobody understood why Real Madrid were not going on the front foot against this team that they don't know who this team is. Nobody understood that. You're, you're an average football fan. You know, a few people there who'd listened to Ancelotti's press conference would have known about it, but how many people outside the press row are really listening to Ancelotti's press conference before they go um, to the Bernabeu? Not many at all. So maybe Ancelotti has to do a better job of that, of getting that message out of, you know, there will be games um, where we're going to be a bit more defensive, but you can't get it out too much because you also want to keep the, the opposition guessing. So it's a it's a tricky one for him, and it's a problem 
I think that's happening around the world just now, now that fans are back. Some teams that had some really successful um, football last season with no fans, all of a sudden the tactics they used to get that football might not fly so much now that they have uh, fans back in the stadiums expecting a bit more ambition, at least when they're at home. Well, I mean, in the end, I think the W's matter the most. I mean, it, it, it is interesting, though, because I remember I was speaking to my cousin after the game, mm. uh, and he was like, why did Real Madrid play so defensive? And I was like, you know, well, sh- you know, I explained, like, Deserbi and the way mm. they play, they, they like to play through a press, and my cousin was like, they're from Ukraine. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, I just shrugged yeah. my shoulders. I'm, I'm not going to... They're not yeah. from Ukraine. They're all Brazilian. And they're all probably quite good at playing for a press. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's something that Ancelotti, I think, just needs to communicate well to the fans. I think he's trying to do that. They should just have, like, a as soon as you walk in the burnabout, the new burnabout should have a massive screen where it gives you the scouting report. This is what to expect today. Um, that that will never happen. It should be a bit more like American sports, no? You know, where you like, get loud or like a defense and all this stuff. It's like applied. It's like, low block. <laughs> be okay with it for ten minutes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, all right, the game itself. What stood out to you in that first half? What stood out was how good Carvajal was. I think this mm. was maybe his best game in an attacking sense, at least since he's been back and. So much either came from his side or happened because he was attracting players. And then, yeah, there was just so much space there once, you know, uh, he could sort of pull uh, Frank Garcia or whatever to, towards him. There was so much space there for then Vinicius almost to get into because Vinicius was drifting from the left so much. And then Asensio again was probably his best game of the season. Yeah. And that's including the, the Mallorca hat-trick. Yeah. I would say this was... Uh, an even better overall performance than that hat-trick, which was, you know, he took all the goals very well and whatever, but this was, he created so many, so many chances for um, that really good one that Benzema blazed over before he scored the goal. Yeah. Um, and then some other nice ones in, in the second half as well. So that right-hand side was was so strong with Carvajal being so good, Asensio being so good. And in a weird way, which you probably got a, a better view of, that then opened up the whole chessboard for there actually to be more space for Vinicius to do Vinicius things. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, to me, when we're talking about standouts, especially in the first half, but really throughout the whole game, I thought Asensio was the one that really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there are others, and I think there are others that actually grew into the game, but Asensio would be the one that immediately comes to my mind. And I think that's an interesting point you bring up about the Moyarco game. I actually came away after this game, more impressed than the one against Mallorca, partly because Mallorca were terrible defensively in that game. Yeah. And not to take away credit from Asensio, who scored three really nice goals, mm. but I, I feel like from start to finish, the performance overall from Asensio was more like he, Rayo gave him less space. Mm. So one of the things that Rayo, I thought, did well, relatively speaking, was every time the ball came to the wings, whether it was Vinicius or Asensio, they were able to get numbers there to suffocate them or try their best to close their space down. I thought Asensio just looked composed in those, you know, yeah. little shoulder drop, cut one way, go the other way. Um, nice to see some of his speed that we haven't he seen in a few years. You know, yeah, he looked confident. And, and I wonder if there's some sort of uh, mentality aspect to that because every other game this season when Asensio's played, it's because somebody's injured or being rested. So it's like, Asensio, Marco, you're in because you're worse than this guy and he's not playing today. Whereas this time, okay, if Rodrigo was fit, maybe Rodrigo is, is starting on, on the right. 
But he's been out for a couple of games now, and the talk before the game was, oh, maybe this is a good opportunity for Hazard to get the start on the right. And I guess that was the talk, and that was something Ancelotti was um, probably considering. And Asensio started partly because Rodrigo isn't there, but he also actually won the right to start over Hazard. And I wonder if when he got that, that call from, from Ancelotti to be, okay, you're starting this game, it's not Hazard. That's so much more encouraging for a player, knowing you're starting because you're better than someone else, than you're starting because the guy who's better than you is is unavailable. So um, I guess he went into that quite, I don't know, just confident that he's been given this opportunity instead of Hazard, and he has to go and, and prove, the, prove the boss right. How often do you see that, you know, someone repaying the coach's confidence? It's like a football cliche, that line, because it happens so often. Yeah, I mean, I... The, and the Hazard point is, I think, something really interesting because, you know, he spent so much time answering questions about Hazard mm. in the past few weeks. And very candid, like, n- not sugarcoating and not saying, you know, Hazard yeah. looks great and, you know, he's, he's, his time will come. I mean, he did kind of say that, but he also said very interesting, sharp and frank things like, I prefer to play other players right now. Mm-hmm. We can't play him on the left. He's going to have to learn how to play on the right. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, comments like that are you very should, interesting. Uh, look to the example of Mariano was another of the lines was like, <laughs> in terms of like patience and cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, you, you're telling Hazard to like take, take notes from, take Mariano, from yes. Mariano. But um, that's Ancelotti, and you know, he, we all talk about how great a man manager he is. It's not because he's always nice patting you on the back. Sometimes he knows when to like maybe say something that could come across as a little bit harsh. Um, he's a good man manager in that sense as well. Being a good man manager isn't just being a cheerleader and telling all your players they're great. It's also telling some of them when they're not great to you know push all those buttons. Yeah, which is interesting because I actually think Hazard's been okay this season. Like he hasn't had any yeah. bad performances, I don't think. Uh, but you see like the sharp contrast between him and Vinicius in terms of just their proactiveness. And mm. like today, this is one thing I know about Vinicius. All the time, but today it was like you know I, you just you just see it. Sometimes Real Madrid bring the ball slowly out of the back, or like there, there was one sequence where Kamavinga is carrying the ball up the field, and it's uh, it's a transition opportunity. He's not going that fast, and he just kind of slows it down and plays it back to Cruz because he didn't have that many options. Cruz plays out wide to Vinicius, and Vinicius gets it and just runs, yeah. runs straight and vertical, and goes at people and hunts and attacks constantly in attack mode. You know that's. That's something. That's what we thought we were signing with Hazard from Chelsea. That's yeah. what we. He was. He was an amazing dribbler at Chelsea, and that's we just haven't had that uh, version of him. Um, so before we fast forward to Hazard's performance off the bench, though, um, I'm curious to know what you thought of maybe just Real Madrid's build up and attack in general. Was, was there anything you noticed? You know, Modric obviously not in this game. He's injured. Kamavinga slides in. How did you think that worked? Um, and you know. How did Real Madrid do with that Casemiro, Camavinga, and Cruz yeah. midfield? No, I was really interested to see Camavinga because you know the fact that Modric had a fever and was like very last minute out of this game is like all week they've not been practicing for Camavinga to start this game. Mm. You know, on Friday's training session, I imagine <clears throat> the idea was you know Modric, Casemiro, Cruz. So Camavinga's having to play in this role, playing the four-three-three in that three, which when he's played before. It's not always been in that midfield three. It was when there was the experiments with the four four two or the crazy chaos against Sheriff, whatever you want to call that. So mm. um, he had to play in this quite disciplined role in the three. And 
didn't have any sort of practice for it the days before. And I think he did well. It's like you said, there was a few moments where he maybe didn't uh, have that many options or have maybe the understanding or the, the vision that Modric might have or that Kroos does. But he didn't make any mistakes and yeah. he kind of knew when to sort of, you know, eat it and pass it right back, which in other games he hasn't done. In other games he's he sort of dribbled himself into situations where he loses possession or he's played poor passes. Um, in the past it's never really cost him, but that's because he was in the midfield four. When you're in the three, if you yeah. play that bad pass, if you lose that ball, um, depending on where Casemiro is and, and how quick he's going to be, that's all of a sudden a really dangerous counter-attack. So uh, I think he did well, um, didn't take too many risks, which in this specific instance is, is a, I'm saying that as a positive for Kamavinga because I think some of the other games he's taken maybe too many risks. And when it's worked, it's been great and we, we all love it. And when it hasn't, it's, um, you know, Angelotti, you can tell, gets a bit nervous. Yeah, and you pointed out that game where he was the fourth midfielder or one of the four midfielders. And that's something I noted in my article that I wrote yesterday is that if you look at, we we really, in a rounded shirt, we know very little about him in terms like, we, we know his scouting report from Ren, and we we know we've seen him play there. Some some people have seen him play regularly. Some people have seen you know the the highlight reels or whatever. Um, he before this game he had played three hundred or so minutes for Rounder. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know once you get to like the one thousand minute mark, you're like okay mm-hmm. we kind of know what you know we can kind of analyze something a little bit more. Uh, but the reason I bring up the fourth midfielder thing and I'm kind of highlighting this because. He's been put in these situations that are just kind of confusing. Like, the fourth midfielder yeah. role, everyone seemed confused in that scheme. Yeah. And so, like, just to be fair to him, you know, you know, he had that amazing start. He had an assist. He had a goal, like, to his Real Madrid mm-hmm. career. So, it all started well, with the This was bank. always off the bench, you know? Yeah. But when he's been a starter, um, it's never been quite as... It's never been quite the same. Because when he's coming off the bench, it's a bit more... You, he can see the game, everyone's read yeah. the game from the bench for the first 60, 70 minutes, yeah. and then he comes on with a specific role for the last 20 minutes. When you start the game, you need to be able to feel out what's the opposition doing in this specific game. And, you know, Modric, Cruz, Casemiro have been doing this for, for years. They know, um, they can probably identify quicker than anybody this. Camavinga is still just so young, so it maybe takes him a bit of time to understand um, the nuances of the game when you're in from the first minute, when you have no sample size on how are Rio Vallecano going to play at the Bernabeu on November 6th. You're there for the first minute of it. So um, when he started, it's been a bit more complicated. You know, the Espanol one, for example. Or There's been a few ones where it's just been a bit chaotic. And it wasn't chaotic tonight. It wasn't spectacular. It wasn't dynamic, but it wasn't chaotic, which was good. Well, I thought, I thought he grew into it. Hmm. I think if you look at the first couple sequences in this game... I mean, it's not even something you would really notice or pinpoint, but something that I observed was he looked a little bit shy, like showing for the ball. Like there was one sequence where Militao was passing out of the back and mm-hmm. he's, Kamavinga's playing on the right side because Cruz is on the left and Casemiro's in the middle, right? Yeah. And Kamavinga was just being a little bit shy coming for the ball and Cruz runs over from the left side and provides Militao with an outlet. And then you can kind of see Cruz just like talking to Kamavinga in that moment. And I don't know if you saw that on the camera or not, but it's something that was like, interesting. Yeah. That but these are the things you can see in the stadium. Yeah. Where you can see who's talking to who, who's giving each other a bit of advice. And, and these are the kind of interesting dynamics that you always want to um, just sort of understand. Like who takes who under each uh, each person's wing. You know? Right. Well, so, it, it, but I thought from there he just kind of grew into it. 
more and more. And by the second half, he was coming with important tackles. He was progressing the ball well. He had that roulette in the first half, which the Bernabeu really enjoyed. Yeah. And which I, to be honest, I kind of missed. <laughs> and I haven't seen a replay. I just was writing a note, and then I saw him like half ending his roulette and the Bernabeu applauding that. So I'd, I'd be interested to see a replay. I don't you know. You heard if, it before you saw. I it. basically, I basically heard it more than I saw. It, yeah. Mm. Um, so I don't, I don't know if if it was a, a, that good on TV, but it seemed good yeah. based on the the reactions. Um, but yeah, it was the one thing. Other thing I forgot to mention early on, he there was one moment where he was a little bit too lax with the ball at his feet, and he was easily dispossessed. But again, from that moment on, and I thought he grew into it. Um, and you know, just looking over my notes, he had that shot at the top of the box in the eighty-six minute where he turns and he shoots it. Um, his counter pressing was good. He was winning the ball in midfield. I hadn't looked at his numbers and stuff, but I, I thought he grew into the game, and I was encouraged by by it. And I, you know, he's so young. We have we, yeah. he's played so little for Real Madrid. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's just something you kind of take game to game at this point. Um, so we talked about Asensio, we talked about Kamavinga, the midfield in general. We talked about Carvajal. Um, we kind of talked about Vinny, not that much though. Not really. Um, but I mean, what is it to say? It's like. He just, he just plays with happiness and just does so. Like you said, he, he plays with with energy. He plays urgently, um, with the ball like the way Hazard used to do at Chelsea. But also, you notice as well, Vinicius just plays with urgency in the sense of like whenever you see Real Madrid losing at the Bernabeu, he's the one that's running and getting the ball and giving it to the the opposition fullback to take the throw in quickly. He's the one that's you know getting the crowd going. That's you know being the cheerleader as he's. Um, running over to take a corner or whatever. He's the one that's um, just plays with energy and tries to get the game going a bit more. Um, and he does it obviously when he has the ball too. So he's just he's just on a different level. I mean, had the the offside goal just a couple minutes um, in, which was yeah. which was this, just a tap in really. But then there's there's the run where he just starts at starts at the halfway line. The first like. You know, 20, 25 meters of it are just, there's nobody there, but he's identified that space and he's too quick. And then in the box, he properly turns two men inside out. Like, it's incredible. It's not, you know, you see some. <clears throat> he doesn't He doesn't do the obvious thing. You, no, not at all. Yeah. And you see some of these amazing runs and oh, how good was this one? He, uh, he, you know, dribbled past four defenders and you look at it and it was like, ah, it was really like two and a half and actually the defending was terrible. In this one, it, like actually the Vinicius goal against the uh, away at Shakhtar, the one where he does yeah. really, the, uh, to me this dribble tonight against Ryan was like twice as good as the, the Shakhtar one because then, you know, the, some of the defenders don't actually get that close to him and the defending is just really terrible and if you count them all up, then yeah, Vinicius beats four guys on that occasion. This time he maybe beats two or three but he, properly just the defending is good he's just too uh masterful and he actually goes like one by one almost like a video game like mm. you have to beat one boss <laughs> then the next one it's not just like brushing past a couple at the same time so that was so good and then oscar valentine had to be the the party pooper to <laughs> to clear off the line when right. um, that could have been that that one I, of those all-time great highlight clips it would have the the burnabout would have exploded yeah. because it with each player he beat it was just like this kind of woo, and then oh, oh, and then it was just like so close to just like a volcano. But then it was cleared. Um, I, I actually think this is a good place to bring in the Rams' first goal too, because hmm. it starts by Vinicius sprinting over to the middle. Yeah. And I was talking to uh, Ben Hayward, 
yeah. at halftime. We were talking about this, and he was saying like something that I I noticed was that uh, he's he does a lot more centrally now than he did last season. Yeah. And Ancelotti has actually talked about this too. He said, you know, it's not that Vinny is just beating players on the wing; he's beating players in the middle of the field. And on that particular sequence, it was not even a dribble or anything. I I, I almost hesitate calling it a fifty-fifty ball because mm-hmm. I actually think he, it was sixty-forty in. in favor the defender because he was behind the play yeah and it's like you can see at first when you're looking at it up from up top you're like i think this is gonna be one of those moments where he's trying really hard to get it but he's not going to get it but we're going to applaud him for the effort yeah but he gets there he gets there first and i i honestly thought you know there's no way in hell he's getting there it just didn't seem like but he got there and obviously from there asensio um asensio right asensio cuts it yeah. back thing and then cruz cruz scores so I, that that sequence was a really good, almost, just, it exemplified Vinicius in a way that doesn't always get talked about. Yeah. We talk about his dribbling, we talk about his his, his scoring this season and other things yeah. he's doing, but his off-ball work rate has, has, yeah, has been awesome. that's all the characteristics. It's the, the hustle that he shows to win it. Then the awareness of where he should be. I mean, maybe a couple of years ago, he, he wins that ball and then just yeah. dribbles into another defender and loses it. Now he knows where to go, the diagonal run to make. He knows Asensio's there. He knows that's a better option to lay it off to Asensio. Uh, you know, it's it's a little bit of everything, the, the evolution. And, um, yeah, I mean, you're right about the Vinicius going more centrally. This is one of the things I wrote about after the, the Shakhtar game was, you know, mm-hmm. the second goal against against Shakhtar starts from Vinicius coming in from the right. And he plays that one-two with Casemiro, but he starts on the right. And he plays that and sets up Benzema. And... I was wondering, not that he should be moved to the right because he's clearly just destroying people from the left, but I'd be interested to see if Vinicius played on the right of a 4-3-3, how that would look, because we've not seen that for a couple of years. You know, he's he's played on the right a couple of times, uh, maybe off the bench to uh, replace someone and whoever was on the left gets to stay there, or there was this sort of wing-back experiment for a bit. Um, but he's not really played on the right of a 4-3-3 since you know, like the first season, second season, because early on it became clear he needs to be on the left. You know, Rodrigo could play on either, but Vinicius has to be on the left. Now I don't think that's the case. Vinicius probably could go on the right and do a job. I'd be interested to see it, but um, I don't think we should see it because he's he's so dominant on the left. But um, yeah, he can play centrally now. He can play from the right. He can, it doesn't really matter. He just knows where the goal is and he knows where his teammates is and he had the, has this awareness he didn't have... Uh, as recently as last year. Yeah, and it's it's all just trickled into his overall confidence that he everything he's just doing everything a little better now. And you know, yeah. uh, you look at his offensive numbers, everything is better. And you know, the right thing I think Z, probably under Zidane was the last time we saw him play on the right, right? Oh, this season definitely not. Um, yeah, and yeah, under Zidane. But even last season with Zidane, that was only maybe a couple of times in Rare. like the the wing back three five two sort of thing. Um, Did he play on the right in that one or on the left? I can't remember. I think it was the right. And then there was one time where he played in the sort of front two of Benzema. And I think that was yeah. like drifting a little bit everywhere. Um, but yeah. in terms of like on the right of a 4-3-3, I don't think we've seen that since maybe 2018-19. Yeah, and certainly not not that often anyway. No. Um, I do think he's he's earned and cemented his left wing spot where yeah, he can yeah, roam. For sure. Yeah. I do like, I do wonder... This is just curiosity more yeah, yeah. than this is what should happen. And I don't like... Maybe some people will roll their eyes when I say this. I don't know. 
I liked Asensio today, and I'm I'm still not generally convinced that Asensio is our you know is this right wing solution because mm -hmm. I he could play like this again, have a great game maybe four months from now, and, and yeah. But I I don't really trust the consistency. Um, I'd be happy if he proved me wrong, but I I I, I challenge him to prove me wrong. Not that he cares what I say, but I would like for him to just prove me wrong. I just don't know if I see him putting this together consistently, but. Um, it doesn't seem like Hazard is going to be necessarily the right wing solution either, no. and Bale is not going to be, you know, at this rate he plays once a season. Like yeah. I, I mean, like a, a calendar season, like a yeah, summer, yeah. winter, fall. We'll get like four, four yeah. performances from him. Um, but this is just maybe the way Real Madrid goes for the rest of the season. You've got Benzema in the middle, you've got Vinicius on the left, and then it's just a sort of right wing by committee, you know. Bale, Rodrigo, Asensio, Lucas Vasquez, Hazard, just all sort of take turns. And I mean, that's a good option of having so many wingers is, you know, whoever's the, the hot option at that time can can go there. Maybe next game it's Asensio because he had a good last game. And if Asensio stinks the joint out in the first 60 minutes of his next try, okay, cool. Uh, Lucas Vasquez, you're subbed on. See what you can do. Or uh, Rodrigo's back from injury, you know. If there's enough options there that surely at any given time one of them is is in decent form. Well, Rodrigo is the one that I would I would say has earned it the most. Um, I I think I like his two way ability. When he got injured, he was definitely the starter, but he's yeah. not always been great there either. So it's not his best position, and that's the problem. Almost, yeah. Like so many players play their best position on the left, but I mean that's yeah. the sacrifice Rodrigo is going to have to make when you have Vinicius there. I do wonder if he's the I mean, I don't, I don't really wonder. I kind of know. I, I think he is the like. If you're gonna, if he's on the right, Vinicius on the left. Vinicius goes down injured. Mm. It, Rodrigo is your be best backup left wing, so yeah. you can just shift him to the left and put whoever on the right. I, I think Rodrigo is probably better than Hazard at this point. But I will say, so one thing about Hazard is we've talked about this false nine role with him for a while now because if he's not going to be an incisive winger taking players on. Mm. Um, and he's not good enough defensively to drop into a deeper central role, like something like Isco, for example, could do. Um, is a false nine a solution for him? And maybe because Real Madrid haven't had the consistent backup striker to Benzema locked down, Mariano, you know, it is, it is what it is. Jovic, it is what it is. Is Hazard an option as your backup striker position and I it's it's something that I think is at least interesting and, and, and certainly they're they're they must be thinking about it on some level if, if he's the one who came off the bench today for Benzema. Yeah so I mean today he comes off the bench and he plays that role but again it goes back to the thing of yeah okay you can draw some conclusions from those like ten minutes or whatever but uh, it's ten minutes off the bench it's ten minutes when Rio are are throwing everything at it. It's not a normal circumstance. So um, if we see Hazard start as a false number nine from the beginning of a game, then we'll be able to see actually how that yeah. works. But to try and draw any conclusions from... Did he uh, do anything? Hazard, not really. Six passes, completed all of them. Yeah. Just looking at some quick data. He came on the 82nd minute. Yeah, you're right. There's nothing yeah, we can really take away from this. to the ref a few times. But we also... Yeah, so he didn't really do anything that we can uh, draw conclusions from. But also the opposition he was facing wasn't a normal opposition because at that point in the game... Rio are throwing so many people forward because they have the clock is ticking in there one goal away. So there's not much I think we can we can draw from it when he does it off the bench. But if he has to start in place of Benzema at some point, which might happen because Benzema is 
uh, playing for France now. This yeah. was always going to happen. This is why Hazard even came on for the last few minutes. It wasn't Ancelotti wanting to put Hazard on for tactics sake or whatever. He said in the press conference, it's because Benzema got tired. Yeah. And Benzema is going to go away with France and only going to get more tired and come back and still be tired. And this was why Benzema could be so fresh almost for a whole season for the past several seasons was he got like a two-week break like once a month. So he doesn't have that anymore. And you're going to have to find other options because, yeah, even against Elche, no Benzema and Mariano is great, but will he always be great or will it always be Elche? Well, Mariano was just, he, he's almost like a cartoon character for me. It's like he just flies around and does physical feats that no one else on the pitch can do. And he can do really great things. He can also, he just doesn't have the IQ roaming passing ability that a Hazard would have either. Yeah. I Like the thing with Hazard, it, it's a tricky one for me because I watch all of Belgium's games mm. during the international break. And... Because yeah, that's the only time Hazard is fit enough to. to well, play. I mean, it's the it's the Bale syndrome, right? So, I, I Bale you have a month to work it up, get close to one hundred percent fitness, go away with your country, and but come ha- back now. But Hazard's been of late; it's not been health issues, right? It's been it's, it's been just uh, you, he's getting dropped. But seeing him play for Belgium, the last international break, I'm I'm getting I may be blurring the schedule a little bit, but I don't mm. know if it was the last one or the one before that. I think it was the last one. Mm. The, uh, the build-up to the UEFA Nations League final, mm-hmm. so whenever that was, um, Belgium lost to France. Yeah. During that run, Hazard looked closer to Chelsea Hazard than I've seen maybe since that PSG game at the Bernabeu where he got injured. Mm. It just looked like he looked comfortable. He was taking players on. He was roaming around, finding space. So I just, I guess my point is, I don't think that player is lost completely. And I wonder if we can reinvent him a little and put him in a false nine role as a backup because to your point Benzema's gonna this is a fatigue issue now with Benzema like mm-hmm. so in order to if you want fresh Benzema in April May June when the Champions League knockouts come Zidane could get away with not resting him because there was no national yeah. stuff, team stuff right so uh, it's an interesting thing to to track we'll see how it goes um Second half stuff, I will say I was, I thought this was like, just if you paid a ticket to this game, because I saw mm-hmm. some tourists there, I was thinking about them, my heart was with them. I feel like they got their money's, money's worth. There was a lot of action. They got to see Radamel Falcao come in mm-hmm. at the age of, what is he now? Oof, like 36. Incredible. Yeah. <clears throat> Comes in. No, the Falcao thing, like, I haven't been in Madrid all this time. I went to the, the presentation at Rio. Yeah. Uh, the day the day they signed them and presented them to the fans. And it was free entry for anyone to go in and, and, and see Valcal come out, do the keepy uppies and all of this. I arrive at the stadium and I see the queue and I walk around. The queue went the whole way around the stadium. I'm not even like the whole way around the stadium and not and it's like an awkward stadium where there's like a like public swimming pool sort of joined like around that too. Right, I can picture it, yeah, yeah. The, all the way around the complex, and uh, just so many Colombians in that queue, playing mm-hmm. music, Colombia shirts, having a great time, like Colombians do. And every Rio game I've been at since, just Colombians everywhere. They're loving it. They love Falcao. Love that. They love Rio because of it. And I imagine there would have been a lot of Colombians there at this game because it's Real Madrid's a club that is really popular there. And if you can see Falcao take on Real Madrid, I can imagine you have that sort of, um, this is a game you mark out on the calendar and you get your money's worth you know Real Madrid wins some great goals some great 
uh, non goals or chances or disallowed goals, and then Falcao scores, you know, with a big deflection off uh, Alaba, but Falcao scores, and you can see you saw Falcao score at the Bernabeu. It was just incredible. It was. It reminded me of like playing pickup footy at the local gym, and mm. you need a you need the, the old guy to sub in. He comes in, just schools you a little bit with his his wisdom and yeah. his positioning. Scores a goal, and then he's like, "I gotta go stretch, guys," yeah, and yeah. he just leaves. <laughs> and it was, it was, um, yeah, incredible scenes. <laughs> so, so that happened. I will say on that goal, <clears throat> there was so, and this goes back to what you said earlier about Ancelotti's quotes about. Mm. Being made, what was it? Scared? He used the word. Yeah, after after the goal, he said the last ten minutes were um, ten minutes of of fear. You know, right. Miedo. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I just the the second half part of the reason that you got your money's worth if you're a neutral, or if you're just a you know a Rio fan even or anyone just taking it in at the Bernabeu, it was an entertaining second half. Real Madrid were just all over the place defensively, and it's just like it's almost like things just go out the window at some some some, some like there are so many games. With Real Madrid, where everything just goes out the window somehow, like the defensive structure, like the passing ability, we keep giving the ball away. Uh, we're making defensive mistakes. On the Falcao goal, you look at that. Uh, I don't know if you took note of who who got the assist to who passed it to Falcao. Mm. Uh, here you go. It was Alvaro Garcia. Mm, so Alvaro mm. Garcia, like when he has the ball on the left side, he's about to cross it in. You look at his options. Falcao was really his only option, and he has to get that ball perfectly to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were four white shirts in the box, and Casemiro and Alaba were the closest to Falcao. And I just felt like it's it should have been defended better than it was. And both, like Casemiro especially, there's no reason for him to just leave Falcao. He could have come and helped Alaba mark Falcao at the far post. And Alaba goes off a little bit too much. And then Falcao gets on the end of it, you know, as you said, maybe a little bit of luck involved. Courtois just couldn't mm-hmm. get to it because of the deflection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and and those defensive moments were just bad. I mean, there was a scramble at the end where I don't know what was happening, but Camavinga blocked a shot, then Cruz off the line, then moments later Courtois with a big save. So it was not a comfortable ending. And um, my, you know, my my mind mm-hmm. w- went to the Celta game at Balaidos, where like, mm-hmm. you know, at halftime, Barca yeah. Barca fans are laughing. <laughs> By the end of it, I was like, man, we can't we can't have this happen on the same day we laughed at Barca. Please yeah. let's just get away, get out of here with the three points, so we can at least laugh at Barca. Which they on eventually, which they eventually did. No, the the defending on on Falcao was was so poor that about five seconds before he headed in the goal, he had another header when the ball came in the first time. Right, and then it. Gets recycled out yeah. to to who was Alvaro Garcia. Yeah. So, not only did you let Falcao get his head on the ball once, mm-hmm. you then seconds later it happens right again as the ball is recycled back across. That's not good. And then yeah, of course at the end the the big scramble and and Tony Cruz out of nowhere seconds after, um, he'd had a a chance at the other end to to finish it. Then Cruz is there to to clear off the line when really it should be it should be. I go that one, but yeah, um, I, I thought it was going. But I mean, I don't know, I don't know the explanation for it. But so much of it, I think, as well, comes down to there's a point in the game where the other team just goes for it, and you've controlled the game. But once the game breaks down, it's hard to control a game when the other team is is playing as if they have nothing to lose because they don't. So that's kind of what happened to to Barcelona. That's kind of what happened to to Real Madrid. Is you can you know play the way you've been playing the whole first hour of the game, but all of a sudden the game changes because the other team is not set up in a rigid way, playing away at 
the burn the bell, being cautious, that caution goes out the window. And all of a sudden, if you have still three um, forwards on the pitch and attack-minded midfielders, there's no point because maybe you can't score that goal in the counter-attack, but also equally, um, Rael don't really care at that point. They're just, let's see what happens. So yeah, um, that happens too often. And I think it's just happened more and more in football. You know, how often in, nowadays in a league game are you seeing the goalkeeper go up for like a last minute corner? It's becoming so much more common of teams to just go, yeah, let's just go for it. Why, why, why just kind of bow down and accept our fate? Let's let's try something. And... Salto were a great example of that too today. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had every reason to just at three nil. It could have been five nil. They could have been like, let's just not get humiliated, and yeah. they went for it. Um, Rio, I actually I was impressed with Rio. Part- Rio, Rio are good. Rio yeah. are, are just so well built, so solid. Iraola is, is just the revelation in terms of of. Yeah, the coach is coming through. Um, it's funny because so in my mind, I still think of the stereotypical um, uh, Paco mm, Jemez, yeah, yeah. where it's like just a defensive sieve, but they also score goals and yeah. they're entertaining to watch. No, now they have a well-organized Basque. It's different. <laughs> well-organized Basque, I like that. Um, so their press was also pretty good in this game, I thought. And it's just imp- important or you know worth noting that you could feel like I, I hadn't experienced this in a long time, right? So I, I'm taking all the burnabout in, but you can feel the anxiety when Casemiro has the ball and is being pressured in the stadium. Like there was one where, and this is a classic Casemiro game, really good, important challenges all over the field. I thought his tackling was great. He actually had a couple really good vertical passes, but the simple things like, there was one where he had a back pass to Courtois and the whole stadium was like, oh, no. And Courtois barely gets to it and, and clears. And, and Mendy on the right side, mm. on the left side, rather, um, a wall defensively. Like, literally, there were a couple players, a couple times where the Raya right winger, um, I, remember, I don't remember his name. Trejo. Yeah, Trejo. He just, you can just predict what's going to happen. He's trying to dribble at Mendy. Mendy's like, no. And he just takes it from him. And then, like, it was just so easy for him. But there was like, there was one where Mendy actually nutmegged a, uh, a Rio player in our box and somehow got away with it. It was incredible. But then he does this thing that we always talk about on the podcast. And I don't know how he has so much confidence to do it with. He puts it on his right foot and then switches it with his right foot. And it always is a giveaway. Yeah. And so just, this is just a classic, you know, Casemiro Mendy game, I guess, in that sense. Struggled on the ball at times, crucial at times. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty much rocks defensively. Um, I didn't want to ask your opinion because we haven't talked about him almost 45 minutes in. Benzema's performance. Did you? What did you think? I mean, this was an interesting one because mm, at the end of the day, he's the one who's you know scored like the winning goal basically. But uh, some of the misses were uncharacteristic. The one where he blasts it over and then the header, where yeah, the the blast over and like the opening. Minutes from the Asensio cutback almost seems worse to me because that's just, that was just weird. Whereas, or that was just, it was like a normal situation and just, you never really see that. He always would hit the target at least. The header was a, a bit more understandable because I think it, you see the replays, but it comes so quickly that it does. I think Benzema doesn't know whether to head it or whether to uh, hope the ball drops enough that he can, you know, kick it. And in the end, he sort of does like a diving header, but isn't fully focused and it just comes too quickly but the Asensio one is like a routine 
kind of passing move, cut back, and and he, yeah, just it goes into like Rosette, which was just a bit odd. But then he's also going to score one for you because you know that's what that's what he does. So I may <clears throat> uh, I may not have expected him necessarily to score the one that went over the bar, hmm. but I would have yeah, but expected him to, yeah. to test the keeper or something sure. like that because the angle was the way he had to twist his body and stuff. Those are hard to hit one time, but hmm. um, the header one I I do agree with you. I think he got crucified for that one on Twitter anyway. Hmm. But I think when you yeah, look because at, if you see this little more replays, what you you see if you're watching it yeah um, on TV, it looks it looks so easy, but it was still quite quick when it's not slow mo, which. I think wasn't. that one, and there was another one where he gets the ball at the far post, remember? Mm-hmm. And he takes it one time and he, and he it lands uh, on the yeah, roof of the yeah, net. Yeah, but that, that, was, that was the most difficult one to even get to or control. Or, yeah, so yeah. I in both of those situations, I think if he took an extra touch to control mm-hmm. it and bring it down, it would have made, like even on the header, if he had maybe just chested it or brought it down, and, and, you yeah. know, who am I to say that to, to Karim Benzema? Yeah. But, you know, it, it just seemed like on the replay, it was a little bit harder to... to to score just because of like the center of gravity, the way he had to like kind of bend his body back and then redirect it towards goal and like, keep it down also. Um, but but sure, he's gonna score. I'm just I'll look at the XG really quick. But uh, so that one 0.38 head miss, uh, miss shot from the header. Vinicius had one in the 50th minute. I can't remember now, but it's on the XG, it's huge almost half. And then there was an Asensio one, so there was you know. There were, this definitely could have been a 3 or 4-0 before it was. It could have been a 2-2. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, yeah, one thing I did want to say about Benzema is that I thought also his his passing was pretty bad today, too. Like, there was one where he could have set Asensio free on a break on the left side, but he went mm-hmm. right instead to... Um, uh, I'm, it, I don't know who it was on the right side now. Um, Asensio also had that breakaway. That's That was the Asensio chance. That one where Cruz passed him, and he tries to chip it with his right foot over the keeper. Mm, but, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I guess it's kind of good good that Benzema can have a performance like this, but still score yeah. and still get you a victory. And I, I, I think, you know, I think fans are totally okay with that, given the fact that he's pretty much carried the team for so long. Um, yeah. He can have games like this, and if he scores on top of it, you know, it's 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 probably not a bad sign. Um, Want to take a couple questions? Yeah, let's yeah? do it. All right. So I actually think we start with this one because it's more relevant to the game. So. This is a good segue because we barely talk about Alaba. Jauzi mm. uh, Dos Santos, our patron, says, question for the post-game pod, where would a hypothetical team of 11 David Alabas finish in La Liga this season? I love this question because, <laughs> like, I mean, in this, like, whole La Liga, like, not high, obviously, I don't think, but if every team had to pick, like, one player to just clone, yeah. like, 10 more times... Like, there's few players that would fit that mold more than David Alaba. Um, because, literally, he's played in so many positions at um, at Bayern, you know, in defence, playing as a central midfielder, playing um, inside midfield, playing across the back line. And then even in his, like, first month in Real Madrid, he's been, you know, centre-back, left-back, everywhere. So, uh he can play everywhere, and he can put himself everywhere, even when he's not playing in that position. Like for the the ball he puts in for the for the goal, where he's playing where Mondi probably should be, but he's there and he can put that ball in. So um, it was an incredible pass. Yeah, like, it was the vision, mind blowing. The execution, obviously, as well. But the curve on it, the way he bends around the defenders, to even try it and see where Benzema's going. It's like a kind of quarterback pass where it's yeah. 
Benzema's not there at that point, but he's putting it where Benzema will get to. And no, it's he can do that. He can, you know, play in those crosses. He can take free kicks. We've seen him come close with a couple of those. He can be a centre back. He can be a left back. He can be a midfielder. He could probably be a striker. He could probably be a goalkeeper. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's I mean, when I first saw this question, uh, you know, we and I actually saw this question for the first time together. My reaction was just kind of to it was a funny question, hmm. but then like upon reflecting on it, he might be the perfect player for this. He mm-hmm. he get I mean he gets your production from both wing backs. He can play the anchor role. He can pass, so the 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 passing the build up progression would be all great. Um, maybe so. I guess the two weaknesses would be if you had defending set pieces, the aerial ability, mm. and and maybe just putting the ball in the back of the net. It's not you know. Yeah. Uh, who uh, who would be the perfect player for this? My mind. So I told you this off air too. My mind went to somebody like actually Fernando Hierro, mm. maybe even Ramos. But Hierro could play in midfield. He can play attacking defensive midfielder. He can score goals. Yeah, he can defend. No, it's true. I mean, Di Stefano would probably be the the ideal. Yeah, I mean, the kind of the obvious answer is like, oh, a team of like eleven Messi's, and yeah. you just assume that you're going to concede a million goals because you're not going to defend. Or, or you could just hold the ball, and that would be your. Defense. And you're going to have the smallest goalkeeper anyone's ever seen. So that's true. But then you would score so many goals. You imagine, and Messi over the years has played with so many teammates that aren't on his wavelength, and he gets really annoyed. Yeah. So at least he would. Have a teammate who's on the wavelength if it's him. That uh, actually might be the answer because yeah. because he could also just hold the ball because himself. He and would score so many goals and concede so many, but then Alaba would also still concede a few because he's not a goalkeeper. And would he be <laughs> clinical and score? You know, he could dominate the midfield, but in the areas probably not be so good. But another one might be um, Pique, um, because he's the kind of guy that plays centre back, can play passing, can be a midfielder, and also. This season often actually plays as a centre forward when uh, Barcelona's had enough of Luke De Jong messing stuff up. So we are sort of seeing a team of 11 PKs in any individual Barcelona game. So um, let's see what, what Alaba can do. Because, um, yeah, I mean, even the classical goal, it's another one where it's he's just decided I'm going to go and be a forward in this moment. And he does it so well. So Is it yeah. possible to do that in FIFA, to have a team of 11 Alabas? Or is that impossible? People are going to ask me in real life. And something. Nope. <laughs> no, no the science has not allowed us yet. But I don't even know FIFA science. Uh, is that possible in FIFA science? Someone's got to figure that out. Maybe if you could just do 11 Alibas and then do a tournament versus 11 Messi's mm. versus 11 Ramos's and, and tell us who the winner is. Yeah. Uh, all right, this one will deviate from us. And it's not a question we'd normally take, but because it came over after Lucas and I finished the mailbag on Thursday, we promised to take it on the weekend. So our patron, Tahmid Kalam, says, the Mbappe in January stuff... Is fantasy land and getting both him and Holland in June, I'll say it's incredibly wishful thinking. So how about we get real? I was so severely disappointed that we let Hakimi go to Inter in the summer of 2020. I honestly feel with him in the Lucas Vasquez role of occasional right wing or and right back, we would have won the league last year. However good Lucas was, Hakimi is on another level. What is the realistic move or positional need for us this January to push us over the line? I'm honestly not sure myself, but we can't cross our fingers two years in a row and hope no one important gets injured only to lose a league by a handful of points. Hmm. Uh, so this was was long, but I, essentially the question is January. Is it? Are we even? I mean, Real Madrid don't do 
January, basically. Um, but that's really boring answer for a podcast, so let's imagine they do. <laughs> um, no, I think it's a good point. Like, you know, um, the right wing is, is maybe one of those positions where it's still one of those ones where it's been done by committee as well, a bit like the right wing. Um, at right back, you've got Carvajal, who's not going to stay fit for, for a long time, and then you've got that mixture of natural Lucas Vasquez and, and Fede Valverde, but generally that's worked enough for the occasions when, when Carvajal's not there. I guess the one position which is just irreplaceable right now is Benzema. Uh, but you do have, in theory, two backups in Mariano and Jovic, two backups who cost a significant amount of money, by the way. So to go out and spend more money on another Benzema backup is, like, I wouldn't see that as that good uh, uh, use of resources um, or even just possible because how do you convince a player to come and be Benzema's backup when you know you won't play, when you've got two case studies of how it's not worked with Mariano and Jovic, who's going to want to come and take on that role? Uh, I don't really see how that, that happens. I think you just wait it out until the summer when you can get, like the question says, Mbappe and or Haaland and all of a sudden you have players who, if Benzema is injured, then Mbappe can play that that role. So um, maybe it goes back to Hazard as well, like you say. As it's all about just finding backups for Benzema, but I don't think you find them in the market. Well, I think part of the problem too is that because a backup for Benzema, as the team is currently constructed, it means a stylistic deviation from what you're used to playing. So if you want a Benzema backup who plays like Benzema, you just that just it's incredibly difficult to find. Maybe when Benzema retires and moves on, it might be a little more difficult to start from scratch. You know, because they they have to change the style of play if they, if they bench him. Um, so that's by the way, that's why I kind of think that Hazard actually does make sense in in a way because he does all the things that Benzema can do in a link up in a link up situation. He's not going to get on the end of headers the way Benzema yeah. can though. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, but maybe you pair him with with a Bale or something in certain games. Who knows? Or maybe you even pay, uh, pair him with with Jovic. But it's just for me like January is almost like a moot conversation. As much as we want to have a fun answer, it, it's yeah. like. I think if you sign someone in January, it's going to be one of those signings where it's like we sign someone in January for next next summer. I, you know, yeah. not since the. Correct me if I'm wrong. I could be wrong. I don't think we've had a significant winter signing since that 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 winter where we signed the Iguain, Marcelo, Gago trifecta in the winter one year. Mm. But I, I think I don't think since then we've had a significant. And that was what, like 2006. Six, seven, seven, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so it's it's an incredible. Yeah, Real Madrid listener. with Florentino, and that was actually not with Florentino. Perez, oh, there was so. Huntelar. I don't I don't remember what year that was. Or mm, that was around the same era, yeah. anyway. But this was, um, you know, before in the uh, the period without Florentino in charge. So that's true. Um, that's true. That kind of tells you all you need to know is that with Florentino in charge, January is just not viewed as good business, basically, because actually. It really is good business if you're doing stuff in January. Also, it, it's just hard to find players you need to fit into the... It's hard It's hard enough to find a player you want and to find a club that's willing to sell and a player that's willing to come at any time. But to do that in January is, is more difficult because you have to find a club that wants to sell and the player that wants to come. And it's, it's difficult. It, at lower levels, it can be done. and It's done really well. But at this level where um, you're not just signing anybody, then it's, it's not going to happen. 
I will say, I, I think they'll try to offload players in January. I don't true, think they'll do true. it successfully, but I think yeah. they'll kick the tires on somebody who might take bail even on loan or if, if you know, if they can find a solution for Hazard. I, I, I don't think they'll be successful in doing so, but they'll, they'll probably try. They should, I mean, everyone should just be picking up the phone and calling Newcastle at this point. Like, would you take this player, please? <laughs> yeah. Which... And if, honestly, if, I, if I'm Newcastle and I have infinite money, I wouldn't, I, I'd be at least thinking of making a, a team of former All-Stars, where it's mm-hmm. like Bale, Hazard, Coutinho, who else? Yeah. Whoever. Um, but I don't think anything's going to happen in January. All right, so the I guess the the side effect of recording on a warm couch instead of a sketchy cockroach infested cold environment is that we went almost an hour here whereas i think the other ones would, would have gone like probably we're, half hour they were a bit quick or or in the other ones we just spoke faster because we're cold that's probably Maybe. probably it and also no wi-fi so there's no we're not really like checking our notes and stuff yeah. and, and all that stuff but um yeah is there anything else you think we missed or we got it all i think that's that's everything no Probably. There's always, even even in like when we have our notes, we always miss something. And then we for, we remember after the podcast, so people will remind us. So sorry in advance about anything we missed. But, you know, an hour, almost an hour here. So I think people got their money's worth. Um, thanks for hosting. Appreciate no that. And listeners, thanks for listening. And also just the housekeeping thing. There is a post-game podcast for Real Madrid Feminino's win over Rayo Vallecano earlier today. That's also on the RSS feed, so go check that out. That's Omen Grant. They they broke that down. And we'll be back, I don't know. I, on Monday, if, if you're over on Churrosi Tacticas, I'm sure uh, we'll, we'll poke Diego after that Celta, hmm. Celta second half and after our win. And his arch enemy Benzema scoring another goal to put himself ahead of Messi in the Ballon d'Or race. So check that out. And then on Tuesday, Matt and I will be back on the loan tracker over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Also, Dallas podcast that's been announced where the venue is. It's this beautiful, beautiful spot indoor, uh, nice intimate setting. So make sure you get your tickets for that as well. Ewan, thank you so much. No problem. And we'll chat soon. Take care. All right, before we let you guys go, we wanted to give a shout out to our $10 plus patrons who do so much to support this show. So thank you to every patron, regardless of how much you pledge it. Everything makes a difference. It helps us to do this full time. It helps us to put out consistent content, nearly five episodes a week. So it's all possible only because of you. So thank you for supporting us and believing in us and joining the family. It's truly a beautiful family and we want to thank you for being a part of it. So shout out to our $10 plus patrons who get Uh, Along with guaranteed responses to their questions, they also get a specific shout-out on the podcast. So shout-out to Brandon Alvarez, Bella Chow, Willie Reed, Wei Pering, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tobias Arroyo Bacher, Tahmid Kalam, Sujai Wani, Sumanchu Singh, Shivam Tawari, Shamil, uh, Sergio Arispe, Santos Rosano, Said Mahad, Shabazz Sharapov, Sad Omar, Robi Takiev, Rishi D, Raul Gutierrez, Raghav Patluri, Phoenix, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicolas Zapatero, Zubiare, Nick Ribeiro, Muxi Thangal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Leon Savernakis, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Graham Gerard, Gary Cohut, Frederick Grantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Acosta, 
Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Austin Fury Erdman, Anthony Lombardi, Anirudh Singh, Alexi Saniceros, Al, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Varun, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. You guys are all legends. Thank you so much. Chat soon. And Hala Marido.